Chris Campbell from the Food Institute, and welcome back to another edition of the Food Institute podcast. This week, we welcome City National Bank's Eric Virgitz and RBC's Nick Modi to the show, and we're going to be taking a look at the blurring divide between food at home and food away from home consumption, and how the one-two punch of the pandemic and rising inflation have reshaped food consumption habits, and in some cases, for good. But before we get started, I want to take a moment here to thank our sponsor for this episode, and that would be City National Bank. City National's Food and Beverage Group combines financial expertise with an insider's understanding of opportunities, challenges, and trends. They get in the fields, the manufacturing plants, and the warehouses to discover what their clients face day in and day out because they're more than just transactions. They get out from behind the desk and into their client's world. From processing and manufacturing to production and distribution, they'll provide you with the solutions and advice you need to achieve your strategic financial objectives. And for more information, please visit cmb.com slash food and beverage, and you can follow a link in the description of this episode to get there directly. So with that all out of the way, we welcome Eric and Nick to the show. And Eric, I was hoping you could start us off today by giving our guests a bit of a background about yourself and City National, if they're not familiar. Uh, thanks for having me. My name is Eric Birgitz, and I'm a managing director at City National Bank, RBC's U.S. subsidiary. And I'm a member of the bank's national food and beverage platform. Our team covers mid and large corporate food and beverage companies across the food value chain, or as we like to say, from farm to fork and coast to coast. And we provide not only creative financing solutions for our clients, but also provide strategic advice to assist and support these businesses as they continue to grow and evolve. I personally have been covering food and beverage companies for close to a decade and am based in Atlanta with a primary focus on companies based in the Southeast. Excellent. And Nick, could you do the same? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Nick Modi. I'm a managing director and the senior consumer staples analyst at RBC Capital Markets. I've been covering the consumer goods space for about 20 years now, and that encompasses beverages, packaged food, household personal care and beauty, and tobacco. So it gives me a really good lens in terms of the consumer and consumer trends. Uh, I spend most of my time in the industry talking to distributors and retailers and private companies and you know, uh, scientists that deal in the emerging areas of innovation in some of these, some of these categories. Um, and then I also spend a lot of time with the management team, senior teams of uh, many of the large consumer goods companies. And my primary job is to help institutional investors, you know, allocate their uh, capital across the consumer staple space uh, from a stock perspective. Perfect. And like I teased at the beginning of the show, I'd like to open up our conversation by looking at this very traditional delineation in the food industry. And that would be food at home trends versus food away from home trends. And we've seen a lot of market disruptions in the past two years, and that would be the pandemic and inflation specifically. So I'm wondering what you could tell us about this. And we'll throw it over to Nick to get us started. Absolutely. Look, the big debate really during the pandemic, obviously, as everyone's eating at home was, you know, how much of this is going to stick, right? you know, as people start to normalize and get back out. And we work with a bunch of cultural anthropologists, a lot of psychologists to really understand, you know, consumer behavior and psyche. And the evidence was very clear, right? That even though mobility started to improve as the pandemic started to become less severe, we saw, saw elevated consumption of food at home as well. Um, now, are, were people eating more? Not necessarily, right? Think about all those occasions that still haven't recovered, like catering or cafeterias or hospitality. So we do think that you will start to see uh, the at-home food dynamic kind of slow down, but let's be very clear. There has been structural change in consumer behavior. We have hybrid work situations. Millennials are now in their peak family formation years. So they're buying homes. We saw see what's happening in the housing market. They're loading their pantries with food and cooking more at home. Value equations have become a lot more understandable. Hey, it's so much cheaper 
to cook at home for a family of four than going out to eat, especially in this inflationary environment we're in. And people just became more skilled at creating meals, uh, which is why they're doing it more often. So the bottom line for me is, yes, we're going to start seeing some of the at-home food consumption moderate, but we're still going to be at elevated consumption, consumption levels where we were prior to the pandemic. A couple other points I wanted to make. Breakfast is really where the biggest change took place. We found that only about a third of adults were actually eating breakfast pre-pandemic. And that obviously was an area that boomed and we think will continue to boom due to workplace flex that we're seeing right now. And McCormick had a recently really interesting data point that they provide at the Cagney conference where they said, based on their survey, 72% of respondents are cooking more at home versus pre-pandemic levels. And 88% of those respondents plan to maintain or increase the level of cooking at home, even when things return to normal. Uh, so those are some of the thoughts. I, I, I do think you know, this at-home dynamic, uh, there is some stickiness to, to what we've seen. And I'd like to throw it over to Eric. Do you see the same on your side? Are you seeing that this at-home dynamic is becoming a little bit more sticky? Yeah, I do. I, I think, you know, during the pandemic, you saw some interesting trends that um, kind of were a reversal of sorts from what we had seen kind of pre-pandemic. So if you think about consumption and consumers, how they were shopping at retail, there was a reversal of, you know, that migration to the perimeter, kind of back to center store for that shelf-stable kind of frozen food item, you know, and, and kind of the pantry loading that Nick alluded to. And so I think, you know, some of that is, is going to stick. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit later here. Um, and I also think, you know, as, as consumers adopted um, kind of, you know, you know uh, this food cooking at home and, and an enjoyment of it, you know, for those that could afford it, they would trade up, you know, for certain ingredients and, and, and whatnot used in the at-home meal prep. Um, on the food service side, obviously, there was a severe adverse impact there. But, you know, I think one other thing that we saw was kind of the innovation that came out of the pandemic with food service operators and how they kind of, you know, went to the consumer via, you know, apps, delivery, I mean, even fine dining establishments fine dining establishments got on board of the Uber Eats or, you know, the DoorDashes of the world to offer, you know, food and beverage items to the consumer so they could stay afloat during the pandemic. So I think that's going to persist too, kind of the food delivery and food service from these kind of food service establishments being taken from the restaurant and consumed at home as well. And if, if I could just add on, on to Eric's comments, just, you know, another interesting data point that came out of the Cagney conference last week, which is, you know, one of the largest consumer goods um, executive conferences of, of the year, General Mills actually called out meal prep fatigue, right? So people are just, you know, they're starting to notice people are getting a little bit fatigued of preparing meals. So it doesn't mean people are not cooking at home. It looks like they're looking for more convenient ways to cook. Uh, so I would expect simpler menus and ingredients and recipes um, as we move forward through 2022. Eric, I'd like to also talk about some other consumer trends. We just talked a bunch about how location during the pandemic really affected some consumer purchasing and eating habits. But when you take a look at other consumer trends that are affecting consumer purchasing behavior, what are you seeing? Yeah, so I think um, obviously during the, the pandemic, there was an increased consumption of what I'll call comfort foods and brands that people knew, you know, but I think there's going to be kind of a, a refocus back on kind of functional uh, beneficial type foods. So whether that be superfoods, you know, rich in vitamins or pre or probiotics, um, you know, better for you snack options. I think snacking is going to be key again, especially as people are working from home still. Um, and I think, you know, protein rich foods will still, can, you know, be, be very popular. Um, low and no sugar alternatives, uh, low and no alk as well. But I think there's going to be, you know, a focus on, on consumers looking kind of 
have foods that are better for you and, and kind of more functional in nature. And then I think, you know, consumers pre-pandemic were already kind of looking at a trend of, of buying items that were kind of bold, exotic flavors, you know, international cuisine, whether it be Asian, Indian, you know, I think this, this notion of bold, exotic flavors and is still something that, you know, sustained through the pandemic and will continue beyond, whether it be kind of hot and spicy foods, indulgence, et cetera. Um, and then I think on the food service side, you know, consumers have always liked this idea of locally sourced, you know, kind of farm to fork. I think that's something that we'll probably see and, and quite honestly will probably be a benefit to operators uh, in the food service environment, given kind of some of the you know, broader supply chain issues they're facing. So there are just a few things there. Yeah, and I'd love to dive into the food service side a little bit more. But before that, I want to give Nick an opportunity to kind of show what he's seeing another side of uh, consumer trends and how it's affecting people overall for food. So anything you'd like to add, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. And just piggybacking on what, what Eric said. I mean, you, you know, it's interesting. Whole Foods had some really interesting literature out about top food trends for 2022. And I just wanted to mention a few that kind of dovetails with what Eric was talking about. So he talked about new flavors and bold ingredients. Um, Whole Foods identified yuzu. Uh, hibiscus, turmeric, uh, and sunflower as uh, really emerging ingredients and flavors that uh, have been used. Ultra urban farming, right? You think about indoor farming has ballooned from hydroponics and aquaponics, you know, to the fact that, you know, Whole Foods actually is growing mushrooms above their grocery aisles right now. Uh, so you think about even fresh produce grown by robots. Uh, so there's some really interesting technologies happening right now in the area of farming. Uh, buzzless spirits, right? We're seeing an escalation of, you know, non-alcoholic beer and other types of products. Um, so that's an area that, that is growing very, very fast and functional fizz, right? People are actually looking for carbonated beverages, but they're looking for something functional in addition. I mean, this extends past what you would find with energy drinks and just caffeine. We're talking about prebiotics, probiotics, botanicals, um, unconventional ingredients. Uh, so those are some of the interesting trends. And, and then the last thing is just, um, you know, regarding kind of reducing meat intake, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about plant-based more um, later, I'm sure. But what's interesting is people are trying to reduce some of their protein intake, but they're not completely eliminating it, which actually is leading to a significant premiumization across the protein landscape, right? People are eating maybe less steak, but better steak as an example. Uh, so those are some of the trends that I, I would I would kind of keep an eye out on. Let's jump into food service a little bit more closely. And I don't know if an industry in recent history has had more ups and downs in food service and how many promises of having a great reopening and then having to close down because of another COVID wave. So obviously, it's been very difficult in that uh, area. And I think a lot of analysts, including the NRA, came out saying they were projecting a very strong year for restaurants because of pent up demand. So I'm wondering if you guys agree with that. And I think we could start with Nick. Do you think that food service is going to bounce back this year? Or do you think that these at-home consumption patterns are going to kind of eat away at that a little bit. How do you see this playing out? Yeah, no, this is obviously the, the million dollar question, right? For a lot of operators out there. So I checked in with uh, RBC's restaurant analyst, Chris Carrill, because he's, he's really the expert in this uh, away from home landscape. So a few things, restaurant industry sales are estimated to have increased about 20% in 2021. That's per technomic um, following a substantial decline in 2020. Total industry sales are expected to reach back above 2019 levels this year, uh, by the end of this year. So that's aided by another year of above historical trend growth. Uh, we're looking at, uh, or Chris is looking at a mid single digit growth rate in 2022. For limited service restaurants, that includes fast food and fast casual, 
Uh, he's expecting moderating but still solid growth as overall sales finished 2021 above pre-COVID levels, nearly 110% of 2019 total limited service sales. As it relates to full service restaurants, this includes casual dining. He expects total sales growth of about mid single digits to remain above historical trend levels as this segment of the industry has still only recovered to 90% of pre-COVID levels in terms of sales. Key industry drivers on top line growth include pricing actions, obviously to offset the inflation, um, and incremental growth of digital sales, aiding both frequency and average check. Uh, going back to Eric's commentary about you know DoorDash and Uber and all the delivery options that we saw come out of the woodwork. In 2020, an estimated 10% of all U.S. restaurants closed permanently, though overall restaurant count appears to have roughly stabilized in 2021. However, we expect that a consequence of rising operating costs and increasingly challenging staffing environments may be further reasons why you might see for permanent closures in 2022. The net result for the largest brands with scale, well-capitalized ownership, and strong digital capabilities should be the ongoing beneficiaries from all this reduced competition. And the last point I would make on this is the inflationary situation that we're seeing right now is definitely going to have an interplay between away from them and at home. Uh, as we roll through 2022, right? That, you know, we talk about potential trade down to private label because of inflation, but there's also another trade down happening from away from home into the home. So that's something that I think we need to watch. And Eric, let's talk about that inflationary environment a little bit too. And I think we might be able to pull in the supply chain as well. So how are restaurant operators going to be able to contend with this? How are they going to be able to succeed with rising prices for just about everything from ingredients to labor? You know, how can you make a value proposition really work uh, in this side of the food industry? Yeah, look, I, I think it's an inevitability, right? That there is going to be some increased pricing that's just going to be passed on to the consumer. That's just, that's just going to be the case. And I think to a certain extent, you know, consumers understand that and, and are weighing that relative to their desire to get back out, you know, and eat food away from home. Um, it's something that they haven't been able to do for greater part of two years in many locations, right? Especially those that were on lockdown for far longer. Um, that being said, I think it's going to be the food service operators that are going to be weighing that balance as to how much, you know, are they going to pass on and, and what can they, uh, what, what other things can they do to kind of help um, mitigate these, these inflation input prices that they're faced with. Um, you know, some of those things may take shape in the form of kind of smaller menus um, or dishes that are using, you know, various parts of the same protein, for example, to kind of minimize waste. Um, you know, menus may also rotate more frequently as chefs need to basically experiment and use food, food items that are more readily available than others in a given moment or a given week, right? Um, and then I think, you know, again, on, on the supply chain side of things, I think there's going to be a, a focus on sourcing local ingredients to the extent possible. Um, you know, the local supply chains, you know, haven't been faced with the same level of uh, strain as the national and global ones. Um, and, and quite honestly, that kind of goes back to the point that we made earlier, right? I think a lot of consumers still appreciate and do like the kind of sourced local farm to fork in your in kind of in your backyard, if you will. Um, so I think that's something that, you know, food, food service operators will be able to kind of hopefully lean on to help help minimize the uh, inflationary impact that they're seeing kind of and, and margin compression that they're dealing with. 
That close to home supply was definitely something we saw at the Food Institute before the pandemic. It seems to have dropped off a little bit because people obviously were concerned about other things. But we are seeing some uh, you know, indicators that that is becoming important, especially considering the supply chains. And it kind of reminds me of Nick's uh, little anecdote about the mushrooms at Whole Foods Market. You know, it's another opportunity for something being grown, you know, obviously extremely close to home when it's actually being grown in or on top of the store that you're uh that you're shopping at. But I'm wondering, Nick, do you have anything else you'd like to bring up about that? Uh, re, you know, really specifically with inflation and supply chain when it comes to restaurants? Yeah, I mean, uh, not necessarily on the supply chain, maybe on the labor side, because that obviously is an important part of the supply chain. You know, it, it is my view that this labor issue is not, you know, transitory. This is a structural issue that we have. You know, two things that we see workers really want based on all the work that's been done out there is opportunities to grow and flexibility. And in major metro areas, the workers who want flexibility are basically turning to the gig economy. I think that's the big disruptor here. And it's like, hey, uh, I don't want to be a server or a cash register person. You know, I could be an Uber driver or a DoorDash driver, work on my terms, and I can still make decent uh, money, right? Um, and a Gallup poll recently showed a big drop off in people who agree with the statement, when people work hard, they get ahead. I mean, that is a big problem we have right now in the workforce. So this is not going to go away anytime soon. Um, and obviously, you know, companies are going to have to put in solutions like automation, um, even automation in the kitchen um, in terms of preparing the food. But that's going to take some time to implement. When you really take a more near term view, I think the solid demand profile you're seeing for restaurants right now is going to help offset a lot of this increased inflation and cost for operators. So obviously being a scaled player is going to be beneficial. But there's a long term problem here that the industry is going to have to deal with, and it's going to require some investment. And Eric, what do you see on the labor side here? Do you see the same kind of themes that Nick is seeing here? Yeah, I, yeah, I am. And, and look, I think it, it's fair to say that, you know, uh, food service laborers really got hammered during the pandemic. Um, you know, I think that they suffered pretty significant burnout and uh, also struggling to figure out, you know, how they were going to, um, make it from check to check, right, as, as these establishments were down. And, and so I think as they, as they saw, you know, other members of the workforce, you know, enjoy kind of better work life, work from home balance, they're, they're expecting and demanding the same thing now too. Um, so I think, you know, in addition to increased wages, um, you're going to see food service establishments opened, you know, fewer days of the week or potentially even fewer hours in a given day in an effort to kind of provide a better work environment for their staff, but also to ensure that there are enough available hours for those that want to work and to help contend with no-shows. Um, All right. So let's move back over to the food at home side of the industry. We talked a little bit already about how you both think that it'll largely uh, increase at-home consumption due to a lot of different factors. Uh, so I just want to take another look at this. Just how do you think the consumer behavior is going to evolve in, say, the next year, next five years? What's going to press them to keep eating at home? Is it really just this inflationary uh, pressures or is there another dynamic here at hand that could really be kind of explaining this uh, this dynamic? You want to try to take a stab at that, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, like I said earlier, I mean, there has been, we've done a lot of work on consumer psychology, right? I mean, listen, the last time we had like an event like this was the great recession where people were staying at home more because of the economy. I think the, the maximum YouTube video was capped at like five minutes. Okay. And the point, I, the reason I bring that up is because what we found during the pandemic is that people were learning and acquiring skills, right? You know, you can get on YouTube and get an hour long class on how to cook a convenient meal. And so I think you saw a lot of skill acquisition happen 
and then a lot of innovation that catered to creating quick meals at home. And when you do something for 18 months and you get comfortable with it and you realize how economic it is, especially for a family of four in a middle age, you know, income bracket, um, you can see why there's some stickiness here. Now, that's just kind of the, the skill acquisition and value equation part of the, uh, the coin. Then you get into the hybrid work environment, and that obviously creates all types of new occasions um, that weren't around prior to, to the pandemic. So uh, there is some stickiness here. We see it in the numbers. It surprised everyone to the upside, even the food manufacturers and the retailers, um, and we think that's going to continue. And how about you, Eric? Anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah, no, I think look, what Nick said is, is spot on, right? I think, you know, the hybrid work schedule environment is going to, I think, kind of help, you know, you know, continue this trend of at food at home relative to pre-pandemic for sure. Um, that said, and kind of when we talked about this already, you know, consumers have started experiencing some burnout related to meal prep. So how they how they consume that meal at home and, and how they source it is going to be, I think, something that's going to evolve over time. You know, I think you're going to see, whereas at the onset of the pandemic, that kind of migration to the, the center of the store and whatnot, I think you're going to see, you know, some movement back toward the, the perimeter for the ready to eat, ready to heat meals, right? Um, frozen, there's been a lot of innovation within frozen. So meal kit, heat it up on the stove and eat that. And then I think you, you may see some increased usages of, of subscriptions like the Freshly's, the HelloFresh and others where these meal kits come in and you, it's a quick, quick prep and, and, and you can consume at home where you're not really bogged down with the laborious aspect of having to, to start a meal from scratch, right? So I think, I think those, uh, those, those trends will continue. And I also think, you know, there's, there, there will still be um, consumption via delivery, right? All these, all these food service establishments that during the pandemic had to get on these platforms will remain on these platforms and people will source and pick up their food from restaurants that they enjoy. And they'll just consume that at home, you know, you know, uh, more readily than they did pre-pandemic. And I think one of the things with meal kits too, especially, is it takes some of the guesswork and, you know, some of the thinking out of it, right? It's just, I'm going to pick from these options. And I think that's another part of the fatigue too, is just, you know, it gets kind of tiring after two years of having to pick every night what you're going to make and having to meal plan and all of that. And a lot of those occasions where you could have just gone to a restaurant and you pick off the menu, you could probably get the same experience to an extent with a meal kit where you just pick something out and then it kind of takes some of the guesswork out of it for you. So I do think that'll be a trend we'll see accelerating as the year goes on. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about, I know we talked about health and wellness a little bit earlier. One of the trends I found really interesting during the pandemic is when you ask people, are you trying to eat healthier? A lot of them said yes. And then you take a look at Nielsen or IRI data, and I don't think it backs it up completely. So I know Nick has a very interesting kind of unique look at what health and wellness really means. So I'd like you to kind of describe that for us and kind of how that affects uh, some of the consumer psychology when it comes to purchasing these products. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, we, we tend to talk about health and wellness as one thing, right? But it really is two different things. You know, health is about your health and eating salads and, you know, exercising and sleeping enough and drinking enough water. Wellness has now been redefined since the pandemic, right? This kind of moments of indulgence, um, mental health, kind of that break from all the craziness that's going on in, in, in the day and in, in our environment. So, you know, we, we saw, you know, something that people would never characterize as health and wellness oriented, but s'mores as an example, uh, you know, having s'mores with your family in the backyard at a time where you couldn't get out of the house because of the pandemic. Um, and so I, I think it's just important for the industry to understand that there is this delineation between health and wellness. 
right? Wellness can take many different forms. It's really about that mental escape uh, where health is kind of the more traditional way we would define it. So I think that these two trends can coexist at the same time, even for the same consumer, right? Um, and we're also seeing this transcend food into even personal care. You know, this whole notion of self-care and self-pampering, um, a lot of at-home spa type products being sold. This is another trend that I think is going to continue to manifest as we move forward. Yeah. And with that in mind, Eric, are you seeing the same kind of trends? Are you seeing this? I, I get it's almost like it's two sides of the same coin, right? Nick, it's, you know, people want to be healthy, but you also need that mental health as well. And sometimes a small cookie or something is going to bring that to you. So Eric, I'm wondering yeah. if you're kind of seeing well, the same. Chris, Go ahead, Nick. Let me just, let me just add one, one more thing to that point about, you know, the same side of the coin for the same consumer. There was a survey done and it said that the same percentage of consumers said life is too short to skip dessert. As they said, I'm looking to eat uh, healthier um, as I move forward. So it's equal, right? It's like life is too short to skip dessert. And I also want to be healthier. So again, these two things can coexist at the same time. Comfort foods and indulgent snacks will still have a place right now. Use in moderation. There's, there's nothing unhealthy about that. Right. And it provides to next point that mental wellness for you. Right. And, and look, consumers are still going to exercise, get out more, you know, now that things are opening back up, gyms are open. So th this notion that you can't, you, you can't, eat these indulgent kind of comfort foods, I think it's kind of out the window, right? Everything can be done in moderation. I think you're going to have people, you're going to see consumers focused on kind of healthier alternatives, but the same token, enjoy that cookie or that brownie or, or, or whatnot when, when they want to. So I think the next point, yes, they can coexist. And I think there's going to be a place for, for both. And I think this kind of shifts into a topic we talked about a little bit, but I think one of the major things we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, obviously, was a massive increase in purchases of shelf-stable CPG products. So I'm just wondering from either of your vantage points, are you seeing any kind of shifts in consumption of center store products, you know, those traditional CPG items versus perimeter fresh pieces, especially with, you know, inflation affecting a lot of prices on the perimeter? And it seems a higher clip than, you know, the interior departments. Are you seeing any kind of differences there? And I guess we could start with Eric on that one. Yeah, look, um, we kind of already touched based on this, right? I think you saw a shift to the perimeter pre-pandemic. I think, you know, the pandemic caused kind of a, a, a kind of a focus back to center store. I think you're going to see a kind of an unwinding of that effect to a certain extent, um, in part because of the, the cooking fatigue that we that we also discussed. Right. I mean, I think you're seeing retailers doubling down on their ready to eat, ready to heat, you know, and, and fresh options. And in fact, some have already begun, you know, integrating ghost kitchens or commissaries to put together like full on meals that can be ordered and then picked up by the consumer. Um, I also think, you know, you know, for thinking center of store, I do think frozen, frozen items are going to be here to stay. I think there's been a lot of innovation. There's been a lot of going back to the bold flavors and stuff. There's been a lot of kind of unique Asian type, you know, frozen foods, like meal kits and, and, and the like within the frozen section. And if you look overseas in Europe, that was a trend where, you know, frozen food consumption was, was kind of ahead of the curve and, and the U.S. was, was catching up largely driven by the millennial and, and, and Generation Z consumer. And I think that is that consumer base has expanded as a result of the pandemic. So I do think that there will still be, from a center store perspective, uh, at least on the frozen food side, still a fair amount of consumption, because I think those meal kits that are frozen, coupled with the ready to eat, fresh and ready to heat options at the perimeter, all kind of dovetail into this, you know, fatigue you know, issue that consumers are facing now where they still want to eat at home. They just don't want to have to deal with the decision of 
what am I going to make? How long is it going to take me to make it? You know, they kind of want it now and, and they want the decision kind of made for them. Yeah, you talk to AFFI, one of the major points they brought out, at least in the research I've read from them, is that people are also taking these frozen items and pairing it with fresh, right? So I think to your point, Eric, there is a massive opportunity for either, you know, fresh ingredients or just fresh meal kits, et cetera, or sorry, not fresh, frozen meal kits, et cetera, being partnered with those fresh items, uh, you know, to continue growing the center of the store area. And Nick, anything else you'd like to add to that dynamic? Yeah, I mean, a, a few a few points to just add on to Eric's commentary. Look, the companies, the large CPG companies uh, have spent a lot of money um, to try to kind of retain those consumers that really came in as trialers during the pandemic. And to some degree, the, the repeat rates and the household penetration is still higher today than it was pre-pandemic, even though mobility is improving. The other thing that I find interesting uh, is how the companies are not skimping on quality, right? Typically, when you have really big inflationary um, moments, you start to see food producers go back to their kind of, you know, ingredient uh, folks, you know, the people that help them make the food, and they look to value engineer the product. Based on all the work we've done, that is not happening right now. So it's very clear that the food industry understands the importance of food quality and ingredients and that the consumer is noticing. Um, so that's actually very heartening to see. So I, I, I would expect, you know, a level of stickiness for the center of store that maybe we would not have seen prior to the pandemic. All right. So we've covered a lot of ground here in this conversation, but I just want to open it up at the end here. Uh, and I guess we could start off with Eric, but any trends, any consumer kind of insights that you see that we haven't talked about today that you think could play a big role in 2022? Is there anything you could share on that? Um, I, I, two things come to mind. I think, you know, as we think about um, kind of the trend of, around ESG prior to the pandemic, right, that was kind of in focus. Um, I think there was, as a result of the pandemic, kind of less focus on that as people kind of just try to make do and, and, and what have you. I think you're going to see kind of a return to focus on that. Um, you know, consumers were a bit lax and forgiven in terms of what was consumed from an ESG standpoint. Uh, during the pandemic, but I think, you know, whether they're focused on, you know, plant-based alternatives, lab-grown motherless meats, free range, or, or just even a return to kind of, you know, focusing on sustainable compostable packaging versus single use and, and plastics, I think consumers will start, you know, kind of looking toward that again. Um, I also think that as people spent more time at home um, and invested in building out their kind of entertaining spaces and outdoor, I do think with the lockdown, they hadn't been able to get together with friends and families, like, you know, the friends givings and stuff of the world. I think you're going to see, you know, a lot more hosting at homes. And so I think food at home, you know, there'll be, there'll be occasions like that where you'll see, you know, food at home, shareable platters, charcuterie was big. I think that that'll, you know, kind of be something that a lot of consumers will look to as, as they entertain and host guests as well. Very interesting. And what about you, Nick, anything we didn't cover today that you'd like to bring up? Yeah, a few, a few points I would add on. You know, at-home food will remain elevated in my view, but recipes may start getting simpler. I think on the snacking side, we'll see a resurgence there, particularly some salty snacks, spicy snacks, and bars. From an away-from-home perspective, restaurants will make a comeback, but the salad shop next to the office <laughs> might not necessarily make it, right? Because I, I do think you're, you're seeing some changing in behavior due to hybrid work. In terms of holidays, kind of piggybacking what Eric said, you know, Unlikely consumers will take these for granted for a while. I, I would expect very big and boisterous seasons uh, for, for all the holidays coming up uh, and all the seasons. 
And then from an online perspective, I think buy online pickup in store is going to be, I think, much stronger for grocery than we'll see with full online from start to finish, um, mainly due to costs and, and convenience. So those would be some of the things that I, I would see playing out in 2022. All right. Perfect. So I want to thank Nick and Eric for their time today. Thank you so much for joining and sharing your insights. You bet. Glad to be with thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That about does it for us on the Food Institute podcast this week. I want to thank Eric and Nick again for their time today. And I definitely want to thank City National Bank one more time for sponsoring this episode. If you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share and let your friends and family know about us. We'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell signing off. (music) 